This morning, as we mentioned, we're beginning a series called What in the World is Happening? Uh, Next Sunday, my intention is to get a little more involved into some of the national and geopolitical things that are taking place and uh, some of the powers that are marshalling themselves to what I believe is to move uh, a generation, a population into what the Bible describes as the last of the last days and and maybe just understanding where we are in that and what kind of people we need to be and maybe what the Lord is calling us to as individuals and as a congregation, as Christians. <clears throat> we'll talk more about that next week and the week following. But this morning, I, I just want to talk about something that might be mundane for some of us who've walked with the Lord for a period of time as a good reminder. Uh, it may be new to you if you're new to Christ or if you don't know the Lord yet. I want to talk to us about the presence of evil in the world today. Uh, a presence that we, every one of us, confront every day in one way or another. And the fact that most people never really overcome it because they, they don't know what they're fighting against. And so they don't know how to defeat it. But the first step, I believe, as the people of God in confronting evil, in recognizing it, overthrowing it, doing the work of the kingdom, is to recognize and to determine that we will not allow ourselves to become indifferent to it that we'll never adopt a posture of neutrality, which I think many believers have done today. Because really, there are only two options according to the Word of God. Either you will overcome evil, or you will be overcome by it. There's nothing in between. And by being overcome, I don't mean that, you know, and somehow your life is just an overt, you know, bondage and every kind of wickedness, but I mean that there's a, a sense of being overcome by evil, not only in sin that we may find ourselves in and things we're enticed to do that we know we shouldn't do, but we can also be overcome in that we can be lulled to sleep spiritually. Uh, we can become indifferent to the evil that's around us. We can become indifferent to the works of the enemy in our life or situation, and in that way it ultimately leads to ourselves being in a form of bondage that sometimes we don't even recognize Uh, The Bible says in Romans 12, do not let evil defeat you, but defeat evil by doing good. And so if you are alert to evil, then you won't be seduced by it in the ways that I just mentioned. It's really important, I think, to realize that there is only one power in the universe that is strong enough to defeat evil, to destroy evil, and that, of course, is is God. And... uh, Our God, as the Scripture says, is good, as Paul said to the Romans, to defeat evil by doing good or by good. And so, to truly overcome evil uh, in our lives and around us, we have to have access to God. We have to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And of course, we have to have access to the means that He provides to come against that evil. Now, the primary means that God has given us to identify And to overthrow evil is His Word, the Scriptures, the Bible, the Word of God. What that means is that, as Jesus said, His Word is truth. And it's God's Word that teaches us truth. We we live in a day of so much deception, so many nuances, so much grayness. But the Lord gives us a truth that never changes, and we're able to cut through and identify a lot of the deception around us so we don't fall into it. And so we can see what is true. The Word of God also shows us what's wrong in our lives. It also shows us, we'll get into the next couple of weeks, uh, what's wrong in our world system, who's really behind a lot of the things that are going on. 
But in confronting evil, the Bible reveals one truth that really is key for us to understand. And, and we know this, but a lot of us have to remind it. And that is that evil is not just a presence. Evil is actually a person. Let me say it again. Evil is not just a presence. It's not just things that you see. Evil is actually someone. It is the person who actually has a strategy and weapons that he uses very efficiently. Now, most people never get free of a lot of the struggles they face because they only deal with the symptoms. And a lot of Christians are the same way. We, we see things in a natural way, and we just try to combat them that way, and a lot of times things never change. So we're not dealing just with symptoms, the Bible says. Many times we're dealing with spirits that harass us. In fact, the Bible calls many of them by name, and there are many, many others, but these names simply describe the activity that these demonic powers are involved in. For example, if you read God's Word, you'll hear about a spirit of, of fear or a spirit of dullness, a, a spirit of anger or a spirit of confusion. There's even such a thing as a spirit of poverty or a lying spirit, or unclean spirits, or spirits of infirmity and sickness. These are very real demonic beings that work in very specific ways. So the first step in really knowing, in being free rather, is knowing that you are not dealing with something again, but you are dealing with someone. And the Bible reveals that behind all evil there is a person. A person who is known primarily, who is revealed to us by two names. The first name is usually found in the Old Testament. It's the name of Satan. Satan simply means one who resists or opposes. And, and so Satan constantly resists anything of God's goodness of touching any life. And he opposes anything that we try to do to expand the kingdom of God to lives around us. The, the other name in the New Testament is the devil, which means the accuser or the slanderer. A more contemporary name would be the criticizer. Satan is constantly criticizing you. There's probably not a day that goes by that you're not aware or you don't, you're not reminded of some kind of inadequacy that you have, something that shuts down your faith, something that shuts down any expectation that God could use you. Or that you could know something of your relationship with God that maybe you see in others and you aspire to that. And you say, Lord, I want that too. But right away, there comes this voice of criticism. In fact, it's, we're living in a day today where it was just when anything bad happens, what, what does the devil do? He slanders God. You know, we just saw a hurricane. Do you see the news advertised or publicized that this is an act of Satan? No, it's called an act of God. No, it's not an act of God. It's an act of the prince of the power of the year. There's also natural geological factors, obviously, uh, uh, weather and all that kind of stuff, not blaming everything. But the reality is God gets the blame whenever something doesn't go wrong. The rationale is, well, if God is all-powerful, then he would have stopped this or he would have stopped whatever bad happens in my life. No, the reality of the revelation of God's word is that God loved you so much that he died on a cross for you. God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were not even his friends but his enemies, he bled and died a criminal's death and took all of your sin on him that you might have all of his righteousness. There's nothing more that he could do for you. That's where you need to start. Oh, I see stuff going on around me or calamity or something wrong in my life, but you know what? I know God is good. 
I don't understand, but I know God is good. And because I know God is good, I don't blame him. I don't accuse him. I don't run from him. I run to him. You're my tower. You're my rock. You're my shelter. Because, Lord, you don't change. You are good. And, Lord, whatever I'm feeling, whatever criticism is creeping into my spirit, Father, I declare you are good. The devil is a liar. And like the prophet Habakkuk says, I may not understand what's going on around me, but, Lord, I'll make my complaint, and then I'll stand here and let you correct me. Because I know there's something I don't see. Because I know when I look at the cross, as we sang, the cross has the final word. The cross says one simple thing. God is good. And God loves you. That's where we start. But the devil, of course, tries to undermine that. And he's very effective at doing that, especially for people who don't know the word, who don't know the truth. And we can all fall into those dark times. Now, where does Satan come from? Again, some of this is preliminary, but lays some of the foundation for what I want to share these next couple of weeks. The Bible says in Ezekiel 28 that Satan was once an angel, a leading angel, whether an archangel or he had some power of command. And he at one point led a rebellion in heaven because he became proud. He wanted that what only belonged to God, wasn't content with his station. He led one-third of the angels in rebellion against God. And because of that, God had to cast him out of his heaven. And so Satan, with all these fallen angels, established his kingdom in what you might call middle heaven, somewhere between earth and the heaven of God's kingdom, God's throne. Satan established this kingdom. And the Bible makes it clear that that's where evil comes from. And Satan is absolutely obsessed with keeping people from God, with keeping people from ever knowing the truth, ever knowing the goodness of God, and being saved. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, and I, I like this translation. I find it's quite, uh, quite uh, consistent with the original language. The Living Bible puts it this way. We are not fighting against people made of flesh and blood. We're going to zoom more in on this next week. We are not fighting against people made with flesh and blood. We are fighting against people or persons without bodies. In other words, what he's saying is that these evil rulers are in the unseen world. They're very real, they're people, but they're in the unseen world. Those mighty satanic beings and great evil princes of darkness who rule this world and against huge numbers of wicked spirits in the spirit world. And so the Bible is clear that our enemies are people or persons without bodies who are being led by Satan. They originate in the spirit world, and unless we understand the true nature of our fight, we will never win. We will always be frustrated. We will always be tripped up. You see, we will never understand the true nature of the fight just from what we see. We'll never understand the true nature of the fight just from what we hear. We will never understand the nature of the fight just from social media posts and memes. That's not where the fight is. There's a lot of information there. But the information comes from people who don't understand that our fight is not against people with flesh and blood. Our fight is against powers of darkness that rule this world and have an agenda through which they will destroy lives if they are not identified, if they are not confronted. That's where the people of God come in. We'll talk again more about that next week. But a lot of people aren't even aware that they're in this fight. And that's why we need revelation. 
We need revelation that comes from the Word of God, that comes from the Holy Spirit. We need to be a people who listen to God, who understand the times that we are in, who can discern what is going on as the Lord leads us, and we are able to move in the right spirit and actually accomplish something. As long as we fight the world spirit with a world spirit, we will never win. We will always be captive. We will be going around in circles. We will be frustrated. We will make a lot of noise, but we will not set a single person free. But when we learn to understand in the spirit what is going on, we understand the weapons of our warfare that we possess. We understand that we fight in the spirit of a lamb with the roar of a lion. Then strongholds begin to break. And people begin to be set free. But that's where our fight is. Those are the weapons that we have been given. And so there's a lot of people who aren't even aware that they're in a fight. They know they're struggling, but they don't know what they're up against. They have no idea how to defeat it. And yet what happens in the spirit realm is what ultimately decides victory or defeat in every other area of our life. Now, there are two ways, primary ways, I believe, that Satan works against us. He works against people. He works against nations. He does it in two ways, and they're really revealed in the imagery of Revelation chapter 12. Why don't you read this with me? Revelation 12, verse 9. John writes, This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down onto the earth with all his enemy. The dragon and Satan, two primary names that are used to describe the works of the enemy and who he is as a person. The first one's interesting. It's a dragon. Now, we haven't seen dragons. We see them on, in, on, in Hollywood. I believe they actually did exist many years before, but that's not the point. But the point is they are monsters from what we know. They terrorize. They, they intimidate. They, they crash and trample and destroy. That's one of the ways Satan works. The other way, though, you might call the setup for that is the serpent. The serpent is sly. The serpent is silent. The serpent, depending on what part of the world you live in, you may just find one in your house one day, not even know how it got there, didn't hear it. But you're walking along the trails, maybe down in California or Arkansas or down in the desert, you just mind your own business and all of a sudden you hear this rattling. You didn't see it. You see, Satan works the same way. He will, most times, introduce himself in sly ways. He will get into areas. That's why Paul says, do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give access in your life to the devil. Don't allow him to creep in. You've been given the tools to recognize. You're not unaware of the enemy's tricks, Paul says. If you know the word, if you're walking with the Lord, he will show you these things. But if not, the enemy is very sly. And he'll get through just a little bit of ground that you give, a little bit, little bit, little bit, little bit. And the way he does that, for example, in relationships, what does he do? We feel certain things. There's division in the relationship. There's some tension. There's whatever, some offense, whatever it may be. But it's something that our flesh wants to justify. And what are you doing? You don't realize, but when you are justifying those things, rather than listening to the Holy Spirit and saying, Holy Spirit, you're right, I'm wrong, I confess. Please help me to do the right thing. If we don't do that, then the serpent is entering in. Just one little thing at a time. He does the same thing in our culture, same thing in, in our nation with policies and politicians and all the things that go on bit by bit by bit by bit. What does he do? He establishes a foothold. Just sly. And unfortunately, a lot of times believers don't say anything because we just kind of, you know, tisk tisk. Oh, that's awful. Did you hear about it? Oh, that's awful. Don't do anything. The devil says, no, nice Christians, you just mind your place. 
That's okay. It's not a big deal. And he just makes his way, makes his way into our schools, makes our way into our politics, makes our way into the church, makes our way, whatever it's going to be. And once he's established himself, then he waits for an opportune time where he can maximize destruction. And then what does he do? He manifests as the monster that he is. He manifests as a dragon, and he tramples, and he destroys. And we wonder sometimes, man, how did that happen? How did that marriage all of a sudden fall apart? It seemed it was okay. How did, how did this, how did that, whatever, how do our laws change all of a sudden? How did that happen? Well, the way it happened was we just kind of stayed asleep while he did his thing. And then all of a sudden when he has the powers that he needs, he uses those to bring maximum destruction. There's an old saying that change comes gradually and then suddenly. And that's the way it works, bit by bit. And then when he's established, okay, guys, let's go and crash. Again, we'll talk more about that next week. But we need to recognize this, how he operates in our life as well. That's why we, we talk about being spirit-led or walking in the spirit or spiritual maturity. I'll say it again for the sake of those who have not heard, but if you want to know what spiritual maturity is or how you measure spiritual maturity, it's simply this. It's how long it takes you to say yes to the Holy Spirit. That's all it is. It's not how long I've been in church. It's not how much Bible I've read or whatever. My maturity is determined by how quickly I respond when the Lord speaks to me. I say, yes, Lord. I don't justify it. I don't play with it. I recognize, Lord, you love me enough to show me there's something going on. I will deal with that because if not, I know it will build up in the realm of the Spirit. And eventually there will come a crash. Oh, God, where were you? I've been with you the whole time. You just turned me off. You haven't listened to me. You've done your own thing. There's, there's a thing called consequence to sin. But it never catches us by surprise. We know. We, we, we know whether or not we're playing with sin. Jesus said in John 10, The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. So again, the thief is the person. His name is Satan. And please understand, Satan is a life taker. That's all he does. That is his obsession. Jesus said, I am a life giver. And you've got to understand that when temptation comes your way, you got to understand that when you're dabbling with certain things, and it may not be things that are overtly called sin, but you know in your heart it's not right for you. You understand the Lord is warning you like he did uh, Cain before he killed Abel. He said, sin is crouching at your door, and it wants you. And i got to understand that when there's any sin, any point of disobedience, anything that I'm playing with, I'm not just playing with a thing. I'm not just playing with a feeling. I'm not just playing with something that feels good at the moment. I am playing with a person who's at the door of my life who wants to destroy me. That's what I'm playing with. And Jesus said, when you see that, submit to me, and in my power resist him, and he will flee, and you will stay free. I can tell you without going into detail, there are times when I've, I've fought that battle, and not by coincidence, in a very short period of time, there was a ministry opportunity where I needed the full confidence to minister in the Holy Spirit, and immediately my mind went to that temptation. I said, Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for grace to resist that, as small as it might seem, because it would have robbed me of the confidence to minister right now. And the enemy knew what was going to be happening, perhaps. So we have to be serious about those things the Lord shows us. Whenever the devil comes, he comes in our life for that sole purpose, to steal, kill, and destroy. To steal simply means he comes to take what is rightfully yours. He wants to come to you and rob you of what it means to be a daughter of God, what it means to be a son of God. He will steal from you whatever he can. So you have, you have no sense of authority. You have no confidence whatsoever. You just kind of grin and beard and wait till Jesus comes one day. That's, that's your Christian life. But that's not who you are. 
He also comes to kill. He literally comes to take your physical life. We all know stories, and there are probably countless every day around the world, where lives are physically destroyed. People die because of decisions they have made when they believe the lies of demons. And their lives are destroyed. And then to destroy, I believe, has more to do with the final destruction of the soul that is separated from God forever. In other words, when Satan comes against you, his ultimate goal is to eternally separate you from God if it's possible. But he'll take anything in between that you'll give him. But I want you to notice it's only after Satan has deceived you that he can actually begin to fulfill his purposes against you. You see, his deception is what ensnares you like a spider in the web. And once he gets you ensnared, then he begins to systematically take from you whatever he can get. The only safeguard against deception is the truth of God's word and the light that God's word gives to penetrate the darkness. But if you choose to ignore what you know to be true, then again, you are opening yourself to a demonic being who wants to destroy you. And you can't just kind of do your own thing until you're tired of it and say, well, then I'll ask forgiveness and I'll just live for God. It's okay. You've got to understand that if you live in disobedience willfully, it's not that the Lord can't forgive you, but there better be sincere repentance. There, ought to, there better be a, a true contrition of understanding what your sin was and how vile that was before God and true repentance in your heart. It doesn't just get covered over because you changed your situation. You need to confess your sin before the Lord. You need to come clean because if you don't, I promise you, those demonic beings you've allowed in that point of disobedience, they're still in your life. They're just manifesting in different ways because they recognize, oh, you tidied that up, but your disposition still is to do what you want to do at the end of the day, so I'll just tempt you in some other way. I'll just bind you up in some other way because fundamentally that's your disposition. Anyway, that's free. Revelation 12.10 goes on to say, the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down from heaven onto earth. He accused them day and night before our God. What does the devil uh, accuse us of? There's probably a lot of things, but I believe the fundamental thing that I find that, that just kind of boils it all down to is simply guilt. He just, he just accuses you and makes you feel guilty. You should be guilty. You, you, you should understand that you can never live in the real freedom and forgiveness that Jesus offers you because you really messed up in the past or you're messing up in the present. There's still things that you do. And he tries to bind us with this guilt. And if the accuser can keep you feeling guilty, then you'll never rise up. You'll never fight him. You'll never defeat him. And friends, hear me, one of the primary reasons that the devil just tries to get all of us bound in some way of, of guilt or shame is because he knows the church is the only force on this earth that can be aware of what he is doing and has the authority to stand against him and to rescue people from darkness. But if he can shut you down with guilt, then you never feel you're qualified. And again, we just hold on for life and wait till Jesus comes. We never step out to penetrate darkness and go after it because we tolerate darkness in our own heart. But it's based upon a lie. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. In fact, why don't you read it with me? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? Will God? No. He is the one who has forgiven us and given us right standing with himself. Who dares accuse you? He said, I know there's an accuser, but you need to know it's not God. As the old song says, I am accepted by the one who matters most. I'm accepted by him. And the devil can accuse me if he wants to, but the Father doesn't accuse me. 
He has forgiven me, and I am right standing with him. So I can get on with my life, and I can get on with my ministry. Now, the reason we can defeat Satan is because Jesus already defeated him, the Bible says, on our behalf. Hear me, friends. The victory is not going to be won. The victory has already been won. It is won on the cross. The cross is the final word. The victory is won. There's no more reason for guilt, no more reason for shame, no more reason for any lie or accusation against you. Whom the Son has set free, he, she are free indeed. There is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who no longer walk in the flesh, but who walk in the Spirit. For you've been set free to live in the Spirit. That's what this whole new life is about. So live in the freedom for which you've been set free. And while you're at it, look for others and set them free too. That's the abundant life. That's the joy that we get to get in on. Did I, I can't remember what I just read. Oh, Romans 8. Okay. I just want to see where I am. Mindful of time here. Okay. So we can defeat Satan because Jesus has already defeated him. He died on the cross, rose from the dead to prove the payment for our sin has been accepted by God. And hear me, friends, and to prove that Satan has been totally and irreversibly defeated. There's not another battle coming up as far as for the souls of men. That is already decided on the cross. It is already won. Satan can never change that fact. But what he does is everything he can do to keep us from believing that fact and to keep us from actually applying that truth to our lives. But let me read for you what Jesus actually did for us on the cross. Colossians 2. Just let this sink in. Paul says, Jesus forgave all our sins. He blotted out the charges proved against us. I like this translation because he's right. We had charges against us. We were guilty. We say that, you know, we use the expression guilty of sin. It can't get worse than that. We were guilty. Every accusation, every charge against you and me was true. But, Paul says, Jesus has blotted out those charges that were proved against us. He took this list of sins and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Now read this last line with me. In this way, God took away Satan's power to accuse you of sin. And God openly displayed to the whole world Christ's triumph at the cross where your sins were all taken away. God took away Satan's power to accuse you. Through his cross, he took the most powerful weapon that Satan has against you. And what is that again? Guilt. Guilt and shame. You see, Satan has no power over you, my friends, except the power you give him by believing his lies. The Bible says in Colossians 1, Jesus has rescued us out of the darkness and gloom of Satan's kingdom and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son who bought our freedom with his blood and forgave us all our sins. If you know Jesus Christ, you are no longer under the power of Satan's kingdom. You actually have power over Satan's kingdom. That's who you are this morning. 
And Jesus now sends you out to exercise authority over all of Satan's forces wherever you see them at work. That's what we need to be as the people of God. That's why we talk about the activation of spiritual gifts and awakening of the people of God is to understand as we go about our day, as we go about life in the marketplace, the universities, wherever it may be, we are mindful that there are people that are bound in various forms of darkness. And the Lord has given us the love and the grace and the weapons to actually see people set free, to identify those works of darkness and to see them challenged and overthrown. In Luke chapter 10, for example, Jesus sent out 70 of his followers to heal the sick and to proclaim that God's kingdom was near. What do they do? They return saying this in verse 17, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. In other words, Lord, we have power over these people that without bodies. We have power over this realm that we can't even see with our natural eye, but we see the manifestation. Lord, we're just physical people, but we have power over that. Then he said in verse 18, Jesus said, I saw Satan falling from heaven as a flash of lightning. And I believe the ultimate casting down of Satan is yet future, as we see in Revelation 12. But in this instant, what was happening, I believe, is that the kingdom of darkness was being shaken in a way that had never been shaken before. And it was just a preview of, of, of what was to come when Jesus would go to the cross and send his Holy Spirit to live in people who actually understand who they are in Christ. Now, the Bible is clear that God has given us weapons that we need to defeat Satan. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul said, I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. These weapons can break down every proud argument against God and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding him. With these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is obedience to Christ. What is he saying? He's saying as the people of God, we are never on the defense. We are never cowering behind our own walls and fortresses, but we are on the attack. Wherever we see Satan establishing a stronghold of lies and we see human destruction in its wake, what do we do? We don't keep our head down. We don't keep peace. We don't try not to stir the nest. What do we do? We move against it. We say these are works of darkness. We identify them for what they are. Our fight is not against people. Our fight is not against politicians. Our fight is not in the natural. We will take a stand when we need to. Our fight is against the demons behind these people, behind these policies that leave human lives in the wake and in wreck and destruction. We stand up for that as the people of God, as people of truth, as people who discern the days in which we are living in, as people who discern what is really going on behind the scenes. We stand up and we say, in the name of Jesus, not on our watch. No. And it might mean paying a price. It might mean paying a price. But we understand where the fight is. And the Lord gives us weapons and the Lord gives us strategies. God has provided many weapons, but the most powerful is named at the end of this passage in Revelation 12, in verse 10 11. <clears throat> he writes, Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has happened at last. God's salvation, the power, and the rule, and the authority of Christ are finally here. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down from heaven unto earth. He accused them day and night before our God. Read this last verse with me. They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony, for they did not love their lives, but laid them down for him. 
That final battle is still to come. And yet today we are advancing stronghold by stronghold against Satan's kingdom. John says that they, speaking of us believers, defeated him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. I'll talk about it a bit more the next week or two, but one day I believe with all my heart, if we are old enough to still be alive, I'm 60 years old, a lot can happen in 20, 30 years, I could be dead. But if I'm physically alive when it happens, I believe the day is coming that we will be personally in contact with Satan and his Antichrist kingdom. And John says, it'll be those who are totally committed, who do not love their lives but lay them down. They are the ones who will remain true in that conflict. They are the one who will lead many to righteousness. God's got some incredible things in store in the days ahead. But we as the people of God, I believe, need to understand where we are in these last days. And just what God is doing in our midst right now, what the Lord is calling us to right now. You see, we forget sometimes as believers that with all the world is going through, people around us are full of fear. The difference is we live in the same world, but we know Jesus. And so as things become increasingly dark and increasingly unglued, do you think the Lord's taking us out of here? Or are we going to be salt and light and a witness in the midst of hell on earth? But a people who know their God, who are full of the Holy Spirit, who are pure before God, who are moving in the power of the Spirit and are able to have an answer and have a power to actually confront and overthrow the works of darkness. We're seeing it already with a lot of the confusion, dysphoria, a lot of things taking place in our culture today. We're seeing people encounter Christ. We're seeing people practice these things, being deceived, and coming up empty and, 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 and just looking for an answer. And the Lord is just miraculously just bringing a Christian across their path or they're dropping into one of our worship services or whatever. We're seeing people come to Christ, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and then them turning around themselves and making disciples. That's, that's the model of the church. And we'll see more in the days ahead. But I want you to notice those two weapons, the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus and our testimony. And the blood, of course, represents his death on the cross that paid for my sin and took away Satan's power to accuse me. But I have to believe that truth before it can do me any good. So I really want to encourage you. I said in the first service, there are times when the enemy will come and accuse you of something. He will come and criticize you about something. Maybe you have sinned or maybe you've done something wrong or been sloppy in some way. But I want to encourage you, rather than being you know, weighed down under the guilt, this might sound silly, but just say to the devil, man, thanks for reminding me. I forgot to ask forgiveness for that. Father, please forgive me for that sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you love me. Thank you, Jesus, that you wash me clean. You cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Jesus, I can just keep on walking with you in confidence as your daughter, as your son. Thank you, Lord. And then you turn around and you say, Satan in Jesus' name. Like, get out. That's right. Submit yourself to God and then resist the devil and he will flee. And so if the enemy is criticizing you and it's something that you know that's under the blood of Christ, then you can say, devil, you're a liar. Get on with your day. But if it's something you have done wrong, say, thanks so much. I'll write back. Forgive me, Lord. <laughs> Forgive me. We don't have to carry the guilt. We don't have to carry the shame. Now, I've done, if I've done something wrong to the person, I need the maturity to go to them and say, please forgive me. If there needs to be restitution, I do that. I'm not making light of those things. But we don't have time to get bogged down by the enemy's lies. Our, our testimony has to do with this understanding that the blood of Jesus Christ, what he's done for me, and believing that 
what the Bible says he has done for me and what he's still doing for me. Because you see, whenever you have people who understand the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, how clean, how free we are because of what Jesus has done for us, whenever people understand that, then wherever they go, wherever they are, darkness is overthrown. In their own life and around them, darkness is overthrown because we stand in the authority of who we are in Jesus Christ. Would you stand with me this morning? We just bow our hearts before we leave this morning. I ask the ministry team to come. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I invite you just to come and we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to introduce you to him and, and show you just simply how you can know that your sins are washed away. He can remove the heaviness. He'll remove everything that separates you from a confidence of knowing him. He'll do that in an instant. So just feel free to come. Or if you have some other need, we'd love to pray with you. Would you just bow your heart for a moment as believers this morning? I just want to speak to us as believers, for those who are watching online as believers. If there's anything in your heart this morning that in any way has disqualified you, if it's sin, just confess it. But if it's a feeling of inadequacy or guilt or shame, I want to understand that you are listening to the lies of a very real person in the spirit realm who has been assigned to you to shut you down, to make you feel less than, to make you feel disqualified. Don't play with sin. If there is sin, that person is right. The Bible says sin separates you from God. But it also says if you will confess your sin, God is faithful because of the cross to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness that you might have right standing with him again. And it happens in a millisecond. It happens through faith. So I want to invite you this morning just to check your heart because we live in an increasingly dark world today and it's only going to get worse. That's why we've got to make sure there's no darkness in us because the darkness cannot overcome the light. But there has to be light in us. Jesus said, if the light that is in you, speaking of his presence, if you've allowed it to become gray or dark from sin or unbelief or lies, and he says, oh, how great is that darkness? Because it should never be there. It doesn't need to be there. And it cannot be there if you are going to be the person that Jesus died for you to be and who you can be. So just take a moment, will you? In the presence of the Lord, get serious with the Lord for a few moments. If you want to come a bit later and just have someone agree with you, not, not even confess it, just say, hey, yeah, I, just, I want you to agree with me in this area. I just want to be free. We'd love to pray with you. But just take a few moments and just do some work with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we just open our hearts to you this morning. We want to be real. We want a faith that's genuine. We want a faith that, that doesn't tolerate sin. There's no neutrality. We recognize and we say, no, you will not have a place in my life. We say, yes, Lord, when you speak to us. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in your body. I thank you for what you're rising up. I thank you for the increase of your presence when we come together. The increase of your glory, the increase, Lord, of salvation and deliverance and healing, all those things that manifest your presence. Lord, we just say more, more of you. Increase, Lord, let us decrease. We just give ourselves to you. Thanks for listening to the GT Moncton podcast. 
Don't forget to subscribe to get the sermon as soon as it's released. If you have any questions or want to get connected, go to gtmoncton.com. For live streams and other videos, check out the GT Moncton YouTube channel and follow us on social media at GT Moncton to stay up to date on what's going on. God bless.